Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us today. If it is your first time here, welcome to the church at Haynes Creek. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be worshiping with you today. Uh, and if you would do me a huge favor at some point, uh, please stop by our table uh, on your way out. We have a little card I'd love for you to fill out. It's just a little information from you. I promise not to bombard you with anything. It just gives me an opportunity to reach out and show how much we appreciate you joining us today. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And we've got a free gift we'd love to put in your hand uh, as well. <clears throat> and uh, for those that have been here, you know that we are still in our series that we've been in for uh, this is week 13 now. Uh, our series called The Church, The Gospel Made Visible. And this is all about us laying a biblical foundation uh, as we set out to launch on our own as a church. And we're, we're getting ready for our launch date. Our, our, the day that we're planting our stake in the ground, we are celebrating the launch of this new church. January 30th, that's only, it's only three weeks away. Well, three weeks away, uh, we get to celebrate being our own church. Uh, we've been a campus of First Baptist Covington for a long time. And now we are on our own. We are independent. And we are launching out as a brand new church. So we're going to celebrate it that day, we're also going to launch a brand new series that day, going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And again, that's like we said, it's only three weeks away. So be praying. Uh, and I would encourage you, really, really be praying. Ramp up that prayer. Uh, be inviting people. It's a perfect time to invite others to join us. People uh, are more likely to come to a brand new church plant that is different and, and maybe a little odd out there doing things differently than, than more established churches. People are more likely to do that uh, than any other church. So please invite uh Spread the word to your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. Um, and again, be, be praying. Look, this is, let you guys know about something that, that happened this week. I think most of y'all have heard, but uh, just to know, like, the Lord is up to something here. Like, the Lord's doing something. He has preserved you and protected you for five years for this time, for this moment, to launch out on our own. The Lord is at work. Our God is at work. And just, just know, when God's at work, Satan hates that. He hates it. He hates it. Satan hates what's happening here. And he is going to come and attack in any way, shape, and form that he possibly can. Like I said, most of y'all probably heard, but uh, we had a break-in this week. I got up here on Wednesday evening for our prayer night, and I found that somebody had broken in through this back door here and, and had taken all of our sound equipment. Took the sound equipment, took a personal computer that was here, uh, took our microphones, uh, took the cone. Not sure what you can do with the cone, but they took that. Um, I, yeah, I can laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing on Wednesday, um, but yeah, look, the, this is real. Spiritual warfare is real. It's not by by just happenstance that y'all haven't had a break in in five years, and all of a sudden we're getting ready to launch out on our own, doing this new work of the Lord. That this happens. That's not by accident. Satan is coming. He's coming to attack. He hates what's happening here. He wants us to fail. And he's going to do everything he can to get this to stop and to get this to fail. He wants people in this area to stay in sin and stay in darkness. He wants us, God's people, to continue living for anything but Jesus. He's going to try to disrupt and distract and prevent the mission. Satan's not stopping, but our God's not stopping either. Amen. And our God is, is bigger and better Amen. than our enemy, stronger than our enemy. And look, the reality is we, we have to be on guard. We, we have to be on guard. We have to choose every single day to follow hard after Jesus, giving everything to him. We have to remember 
the truths of Jesus. We started out this series with Matthew 6, and we have to remember and remind ourselves all the time that Jesus will build his church. This is his church. It's in his hands, and he will build it, and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against it. So let's commit to live for Jesus. Let's let's fight for one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's, Let's protect one another. Our enemy is described as a, as a prowling lion. Not somebody who's, who's asleep and, and indifferent towards what's happening. No, he is, he is always on the attack. So let's be on guard and let's be on the attack as well. Let's pray. Let's support one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's be here for one another. And I'll tell you one of the cool things that has happened even in the few days uh, that this transpired this week. Uh, numerous churches in the area have reached out and offered help, offered uh, extremely generous donations to our church, uh, even members here doing that as well. Uh, the church that I came from, uh, we're using one of their old sound systems today. And they just say, here, take it, use it for as long as you need to. Um, and Blake and, and Johnny were up here getting that set up this morning. Um, and that's why my computer is here. Hey, everybody watching on, on our live stream. Because uh, thankfully, we didn't take our camera, uh, but that is under safekeeping for the moment. Um, so, yeah, y'all, let, let's be praying. Let's be praying. Our, our, our God is up to something, and the enemy hates it. But what that means for us is we, we press forward all the more. Our enemy doesn't stop, our God doesn't stop, and we don't stop either. Amen. Man, man. All right, so let's let's move on. Let's move forward. Uh, we're going to dig into uh, one of my favorite passages today. It's from Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12, carry it down to verse 17. Uh, and in this passage, Paul is showing us and telling us what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus. There's these, these qualities and characteristics that, that Jesus calls us to display in our own lives and in our relationships with one another. So again, if we're gonna if we're gonna build this church the way that the Lord wants, we have to be walking as Christ would have us. We have to have godly relationships with one another. And Colossians three speaks to that very thing. So Colossians chapter three, starting in verse twelve, this is where I usually say, if you don't have your Bibles, follow along the screens behind me. Uh, those aren't working today. Uh, we're figuring that out. Uh, but we have Bibles on the pack if you want to grab one of those and follow along with us. Uh, but Colossians chapter three, starting in verse twelve, Paul writes this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Okay, so let's let's dig into this and see what the Lord would have for us today. So Paul starts out, he says, put on then, put on then. So right away, we know he's, he's contrasting something with what he previously said. So when we see these kind of lines of arguments, especially in Paul's writing, we have to stop what we're doing and let's back up a little bit and see what he said before, because he's, he's telling us something different. He said one thing, and now he's saying, based on that, here's what I want you to do. So put on then. Well, what, what are we supposed to put on? 
What are we supposed to put on? Well, let's back up and see first what we're supposed to put off. Starting in verse 5, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul here, again, he's talking about the life that we're to live in Jesus. And the first part of living the life for Jesus is we have to put to death our sin. We have to put off, take off our old self, our old way of living. See, when we put our faith in Jesus, one of the things the Bible says is that we are made new in Christ. We're made alive and we're made new. We're given this new life to live for Jesus. We're no longer to live in our old ways, no longer to live in our sin. We are to put on the new self. So we have to actively put to death our sin every single day. We put to death our sin. We put to death sexual morality, impurity, passion. Another word for that is, is lust. We put to death our lust. We put to death evil desire, covetedness, and idolatry, anger, wrath. Another word for wrath is, is rage and fury. Malice is this, this feeling of, of hostility and dislike and evil and wickedness towards those in our lives. Or to put off slander, obscene talk. Another way to translate obscene talk is, is shameful, vulgar, or abusive language. Or to put that to death. Stop it. Lying to one another. I mean, Paul goes on and on with these sins. And this isn't meant to be exhausting. You're like struggling with something. You're like, oh, I didn't see it on my list. I guess I don't have to put that to death. No, that's not what he's saying here. Anything that goes against Christ, anything that is opposite of the new life that he's called us to live, we are to put that to death. Or to put it to death. <clears throat> Every single day, we put our sin to death. We talked about this last week. We, we have to take our sin seriously. Amen. Our sin is not a pet to play with and just carry around with us. And just, you know what? I've, I've got it under control. It's no big deal. It's, you know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, not a big problem for me. No, I got, I, got, I got a handle on this. No, we don't. We don't have a handle on it. Jesus does, but we don't. Amen. So we need to put it to death and run to Jesus Every single day. Amen. We have to put our sin to death. That's the first thing Paul says here. Put that to death and put on then these characteristics. Put on the new life in Jesus. Sort of put on this new self. And, and, and first Paul starts out with, with who we are in Jesus. He doesn't just say, hey, do these things. Do these things. Just here's this list of stuff to do. Here's this list of things you got to do to be like Jesus. No, he starts out with who we are in Christ. He says, put on then, put on this new self. Why? Why do we put on this new self? Look at verse 12 again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. See, Paul starts out with, with our identity. He starts out with who we are in Jesus. If we don't have that part grounded, if we don't remember who we are in Jesus, all this other stuff that we're doing is just going to be based on our effort. It's just going to be these, these good works that will eventually just puff ourselves up. Look at look how good I am. Look how I don't struggle with those things. I mean, we'll, that's just a few more steps, and we're like the Pharisees of the New Testament. We're the Pharisees of the Gospels. We have to ground who we are in Jesus first. We have to, we have to settle there. And Paul tells us who we are. Who are we? We are God's chosen ones. 
We are God's chosen ones. God chose us, which means, which means our salvation had nothing to do with us, had nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with you, had nothing to do with what I could offer to Jesus, had nothing to do with what I could do for Jesus. It had everything to do with God. That's what that means. We are God's chosen ones. He chose us. Why? I don't know. I have no idea why. Do we deserve it? No. I'll speak for myself. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that. Yeah, God still does that. Amen. What that at the base level of who we are in Jesus, what that should tell us is that we should be the least prideful people on the planet. Pride and arrogance and looking down on others, thinking that we're better than other people somehow, has no room in the Christian life. There is no place for that in the life of Jesus. Amen. See, we, we've been given the, the greatest gift ever. We've been saved. We've been, we've been resting. The Bible tells us that, that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, slaves to our sins. And then when we put our faith in Jesus, he makes us new. He makes us alive. He takes a dead man and makes him alive. He takes a, a man in slavery and he makes him free, redeemed in Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been given the greatest gift of all, and it has nothing to do with us. Has nothing to do with me. Has nothing to do. Has nothing to do with what we can offer to God. Has everything to do with Jesus. Amen. Everything to do with His work. So we are God's chosen ones, and we are holy. We're holy. Now we we say that. Are we really holy all the time? No, right? Not always in in word and deed and actions. But here's what this is talking about. As Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we are justified. And what that theological term means is that I am in a position of holiness before Christ at all times. At all times. Because, again, it's not based on me. It's not based on what I've done. It's not based on what I've earned. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. So that's what Paul's getting at here. Again, he's getting to our identity in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're justified, which means our past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus. All forgiven. We are made clean. We are washed by his blood. We're completely and totally forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him, in Jesus, we can be the righteousness of God. Amen. We can be the perfection of God. We can be the holiness of God. Amen. Again, nothing to do with us. Because it's, you know, that's justification. That we have this position of holiness. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our guilt and our shame. He sees Christ's blood and righteousness. We are justified. And it's because of that that we should strive for holiness in our life. We should, we should strive for Christ-likeness in these areas. That's, that's the biblical word sanctification, right? So there's, there's this positional holiness and then there's this practical everyday holiness that, that we're still going to struggle with until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. That's when that, that work is done. That's a lifelong effort of every day trying to be like Jesus and live for him, follow him, and repent when we stumble, and confess and come back to him. But our identity, based in Jesus, based on his work, is one of holiness. So that's why Paul can write, you're God's chosen ones, and you are holy. And last, he says that we are beloved and beloved means that we're dearly loved. We're dearly loved. Let that sink in for a moment. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I, I can just gloss over the love of God. Oh, yeah, God loves us. Yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, I learned that when I was five. 
Yeah, God loves me. Like, really think about that for a minute. The God of this universe, that created everything, that upholds everything by the word of his power, loves you and loves me. And he knows everything. He knows everything about us. All, all those secret sins that we try to hide from everybody else, that we try to sweep under the rug, he sees it, he knows all about it, and he still says, I love you. I love you. And not just that, but I, but I, but I died for you. I sacrificed my life for yours so you could be saved and rescued. We are God's beloved. He loves us deeply and fully. He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. That's who we are in Jesus. We are chosen, we are holy, and we are loved. And it's out of that that we put to death our sin, and we live in this new life Jesus has called us to. We live in this new self because God has saved us, he loved us, and he's made, he loves us, and he's made us holy. And now it's time for our lives to match who we are in Jesus. Amen. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And this is what he gives. He gives several characteristics that, that our lives and our relationships with one another are supposed to reflect. So let's walk through those, and then we'll talk about some practical implications of this. Let's go back to verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So here's who you are in Jesus, and because of that, here's what your lives are supposed to look like. First one, compassionate hearts. We are to have compassionate hearts. Now, that word compassion means uh, mercy or sympathy, sensitivity to those in your life, to those around you. It means that, that if we see somebody hurting, if we see somebody in need, we should have compassion for them that leads us to want to help and serve and care for them in whatever way that looks like. I mean, think, think the Good Samaritan. When you think of compassion, think the Good Samaritan. What does uh, Luke tell us, Jesus tell us in the parable of the Good Samaritan? He sees, sees this guy dead on the road, half dead on the road, beat up, everything stolen from him. He sees him, and what does it say? He has compassion. He has compassion. He sees somebody in need. doesn't know this person. Complete stranger. Sees somebody in need, and his heart is filled with compassion. Says, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't need to know what's going on. I know that person's in, in need, and I can come in and meet that need. I can come in and care for them and serve them. That's what it means to have a compassionate heart. We're to have compassionate hearts. Second thing he says that we're to have kindness. Kindness. And I, and I love the biblical word for kindness. It doesn't just mean like, oh, you're a nice person. Oh, yeah, that person says nice things. Oh, yeah, you know, they don't seem to really annoy people or it's easy to get along with. Like, yeah, they're just, they're just a nice person. Now, that's not the word that, that is used here. It's this idea that, that not only am I a nice person, yes, but I am, and not only do I act kind, but the, the word for kindness carries with it this idea of seeking out and looking for ways to serve and care for those in my life. That's the biblical word for kindness. You want to be kind, it means that we have eyes to see people in our lives and think, how can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I care for them? That's what it means to be kind. So we're to put on kindness. Another thing he says that we're to put on humility. Put on humility. We, we talk about this word a lot. We, we use this word a lot. We hear this word a lot. We know what this word means, right? Humility is this, this lowliness of mind. It's not this, I'm going to elevate myself above everybody else. No, it's the opposite. It is what Paul tells us in, in Philippians 2, that, that we're to put others before ourselves, right? We're to see others' needs before our own. We're to take care of other people before ourselves. We're to look to others before us, before our own needs. We're not selfish. 
we're humble. We look to others' needs before our own. And also it means that we, we don't have arrogance and pride. That we, again, we're not looking around thinking, man, I'm, I'm so much better than these other people. And it's like that parable in, in Luke 18, the Pharisee, his prayer is, God, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. All right, that, that's the opposite of humility. No, humility is the tax collector beating his chest saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's humility. That's the mindset that we're to have. And then Paul tells us that we're, we're to be meek. We're to have meekness. This word meekness means, means gentleness. Think, think opposite of harsh. Opposite of harsh. Like I, if you look at anything in our culture today, what do you see? A lot of harsh language being rude, not being used, right? A lot of harshness out there. Christians are to be opposite of that. We're not to be harsh. We're to be meek. We're to be gentle with those in our lives. Patience. Patience he uses next. We're to have humility, meekness, and patience. Patience literally means, or the word that's used, it literally means emotional calm in the face of provocation and doing so without complaint or irritation. How about you? That's a tough bar sometimes, right? I mean, think about all the little things in life that irritate us. All the little things that get under our skin, that bug us, that bother us, that cause irritation and frustration. I mean, think about this, you know, your last week at work, maybe dealing with some difficult people, dealing, dealing with a difficult boss. I don't know what you got going on, but we've all got frustrations like that. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe kids are being frustrated, your spouse being frustrated. Maybe it's you being frustrated and everybody's frustrated at you and you're the cause of that. You know, we don't tend to think like that. But I think of all of these moments throughout that. I mean, just sitting in traffic, like how many of us sitting in traffic all day long are just this emotional calm, right? We're just at peace. You know, drive however you want to, people. It doesn't doesn't bother me, you know? No, typically we're, we're waving at people. We just don't use our full hand. It's one finger. You know, I'm sure y'all don't do that. You know, y'all are better. But think of all, all the little things, the little things that just get under our skin and mess with us and get us irritated and frustrated and we're mad. That's the opposite of what Jesus calls us to. We're to be patient. We're to have emotional calm in the face of irritation and frustration. In circumstances with people, right? We're to be patient. And then, then he takes it some steps further. So this is you know stuff that, that we're to do. These are characteristics and qualities that we're to have. And now Paul is going to have that spill out into our relationships with one another. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. All right, so we're to bear with one another. That phrase, we see that throughout the New Testament. Paul uses this a lot. That phrase means to put up with each other. To put up with each other. That's what he's saying here. We are to put up with each other. But Paul knows this is the case, and we're, you know, we're, we're nice people, so we don't always admit this, but it's true, all right? So I'll admit it for you. We can get on each other's nerves. We can. We can annoy each other. Even, even good Christians that love Jesus and love one another, we can annoy each other sometimes. All right, look, you don't have to agree. You don't, you don't have to say anything. I, it's okay. All right, this is a safe place, but I won't make you say it out loud. We can get under each other's skin sometimes. We can do that. We can annoy each other. That's what happens when you're in a relationship with people that who still struggle with their sin, right? Even though we're holy, we're still struggling with our sin. We can annoy each other. Anybody who's married, you get that. And again, I won't make you admit that. Your spouse is sitting right next to you. I won't make you say it out loud. It's okay. I, I know. Just give me a look. I, I got you. I know. 
I know. Yeah, I drive my wife crazy all the time. All right. We can do that to each other. That's that's happening. That's what being in a relationship means. It, friction will happen. Frustrations will happen. Annoyances will happen. And what's Paul called us to here? What are we supposed to do? What's our response when that happens? We bear with each other. We put up with each other. We, we continue in relationship. We don't cut things off. We don't cut off relationships just because somebody's being a little annoying or I'm being a little annoying sometimes. I get it. I can't be. If I haven't annoyed you yet, it's coming. I promise. And I'll ask for forgiveness when it happens, but it's coming. This is what, this is what happens when, we, when, when God takes a bunch of sinners and dumps them into one body called the church. There's going to be friction, but we don't walk away. We don't give up on our relationships with one another. We don't just say, you know what? You've annoyed me and I'm, I'm just, I'm done with you. And I'm walking away and, and I'm, not, I'm just going to avoid you. I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to be in your life anymore. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid you at all costs. No, we don't do that. That's not living like Christ has called us to. That's not bearing with one another. No, we continue in relationships. We, we give grace and we work through it. And what does Paul say next? We bear with each other and we forgive each other. We forgive each other. We bear with one another and we forgive one another. Look, when that friction happens, when we annoy each other, when we say hurtful things to one another, when we do things that are somebody is rude to us, or whatever it is, whatever, whole host of issues that can come in relationships with one another, what do we do? We forgive. We forgive. Christians are to be a forgiving people. We are to be marked by our forgiveness with one another. And look, again, com compare that with where we are in the culture. Look, our culture, I mean, it's, it's cancel culture, right? You make one mistake. doesn't matter what you've done with any other part of your life. You do one thing that is out of bounds of whatever cultural rules there are, and you are just blasted and just canceled and just erased from everything. That's the culture right now. We live in an unforgiving culture, a culture that refuses to bear with one another, that refuses to give benefit of the doubt, that refuses to offer forgiveness. And Christians, we're supposed to go the other way. That's not who we are. We don't cancel one another. No, we forgive. We forgive each other. We forgive each other. That word forgives means to show favor and to give grace. That's what we're to do. We are to forgive one another. And, and, and how much are we supposed to forgive? What's the limit? I mean, that's Peter's famous question to Jesus. Seven, 70 times 7, Jesus? That's, that's a big number, right? That's a lot. No, we're, we're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Amen. We're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Look at look what Paul says. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Amen. We're to forgive like Jesus has forgiven us. And, and how, how does Jesus forgive us? What does his forgiveness look like? It's completely and continually. Amen. Completely and continually. That's God's forgiveness. That's God's forgiveness for us. And that's the forgiveness that we're to have with one another. Complete and continual. How many times do we forgive? As many times as it's necessary. There's no number. Because there's no number for us. And I praise God for that. I'm so 
thankful for that. And God's not, you know, one day, Travis, you're going to run out of chances. You're getting close. That number's almost there. As soon as you do, I'm done forgiving you. I'm out. I've forgiven you too much. Thankfully, that's not what our God does. But how often do we do that with each other? And how often is that number? Just one time. You do one thing, and I'm done. You hurt me in one, one, one time, and I'm out. This is not the way of Jesus. We are to forgive completely and continually. We don't hold grudges. We don't cancel each other. We forgive and we give grace. And look, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle the hurt that comes in relationships. There is real serious hurt. And forgiveness, it, sometimes I think as Christians, we're just like, oh, I forgive you. And it's just too quick. And we haven't gone through the process of actually getting to that point. I mean, sometimes the level of hurt that people, the damage that is done in our lives by other sinners, sometimes it can take a long time to get there. So I'm not trying to belittle that. But how often do we take just, you know, one small, tiny instance of hurt feelings and we just, we hold on to that grudge. We hold on to that bitterness and anger and frustration. We're not going to let it go. How often do we do that? That's more what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the big stuff. That takes time to get to forgiveness. True, legitimate, biblical forgiveness. But these little things that we just let blow up and get out of hand? No. Let's work towards forgiveness. Let's forgive one another. Let's put up with each other. Let's move forward in relationships. I should probably stop talking about that. Let's move on. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It tells us to put on love. Put on love. Put on, put on God's love. Biblical love for one another. Biblical love is unconditional. It's unconditional love. It doesn't demand things from other people. Biblical love doesn't say, in order for me to love you, you got to be just like me. It doesn't say, in order for me to love you, you have to do and say everything that I agree with. That's not biblical love. You know, Biblical love is not, if you do everything that I want, well, then I'll love you. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is not strings attached. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is unconditional. It's the love that Jesus gives us, that gives me. Look, we're going to have differences, right? We're going to have differences. We're going to see things differently. We're going to do things differently. We're going to have differences. But if we can unite under the love of Jesus, that's what matters. Amen. Can we agree on Jesus? If we can agree on Jesus, then let's be, let's be together. Let's be united. This is what Paul says. And we, we, we have the love of Christ, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It brings us together in perfect harmony. I mean, he continues, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Have love for one another. Have peace with one another. Have harmony together with one another. That means we've got to put aside our differences. We've got to put our, can we agree on Jesus? If we can agree on Jesus, let's be united. Let's be the people of God. Let's be the body of Jesus. Now let's keep going. He ends verse 15 with, with three simple words here, but very profound. And be thankful. Be thankful. We are to be thankful and grateful people. Like, I don't know where you find yourself in life. I know we've all got our struggles, our ups and downs, the difficulties that we're walking through. But here's what I do know. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have much to be thankful. 
We have much to be thankful. We have been given much in Jesus. We've been saved. Amen. We've been rescued. We've been set free. We've been made new and alive. Amen. That alone should make us the most thankful and grateful people on this planet. Amen. And yet, how often do we do we let these little things that again we're getting irritated about? How often do we let those just just lead to discontentment or, or envy of other people around us? Lord, how, how come I don't have what they have? How come my life seems more difficult than theirs? How come they just seem to have it so much easier than everybody else? Or we complain. We complain. We look at what we don't have, and we just are filled with complaint. Not something that we're constantly trying to work on with our kids. I mean, they constantly see what they don't have. It's like, well, look, look at all that you do have. We've got a roof over our heads. We've got three meals a day, snacks whenever you're hungry. I mean, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We as adults have a lot to be thankful for, but how often... Are we filled with complaining and jealousy? How often are we filled with, with hate and bitterness towards others, towards God for what we don't have? Now Paul says, let's, let's be thankful. Amen. Let's be grateful people because we've been given much in Jesus Christ. All right, let's go on verse 16. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're to let the, the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That word for dwell means to take up residence. Right? It's like uh, you, you dwell in your house. You live in your house. Uh, Paul is telling us here is the word of God is to live in us. Amen. It's to live in our hearts. It's to live in our lives. It's to direct and guide everything we say and do. It, it's all based on Jesus and his word. Amen. That's who we're to be. Let the word of God dwell in your lives. Let it take up residence in your life. And look, that doesn't happen just on its own. It's not osmosis here. We just hold our Bibles close and it's going to dwell in us, right? Like that's, No, that's not, that's not how it works. We got to open this thing up. We got to read it. We're going to dig deep into it. There is so much goodness in here, so many riches for us to dig into and see. Amen. Let's take our time. Let's dig into the word of God. Let's let it dwell in our hearts. We do this by, by reading it, Amen. by studying it, by seeking to walk in obedience and application to what it says, Amen. meditating on it, memorizing it. Let's spend time in the word of God. Amen. Let it dwell in our hearts richly. Let it take up residence in our lives. And then we sing. We sing with, with thankfulness, as Paul says. Again, our hearts should be filled with gratitude for all that Christ has done. And one of the ways that we show our gratitude is it pours out in praise and worship of Jesus. Amen. Praise out and pour. That's why we sing. We don't just sing because Johnny's a good musician and we like the way he sounds. No, you are. Thank you for your work that you do there. And thank you for all those that serve. But no, we sing out of gratitude and worship of Jesus. Amen. And when we remember the gospel, when we remember all that Christ has done, it should stir our hearts to sing. It should stir our hearts to worship. And look, you, you want to know a good remedy to when you're feeling complaining and frustrated and just discontented with all that you have? Put on some worship music, sing songs to Jesus, and in a few minutes, I promise you, it's really hard to hold on to that complaining attitude when you're singing praises to Jesus and singing praises about what all he's done for us. It's really hard to do that. So I, sometimes I just got to do that. If I'm just in a, in a mood, 
I just got I got to just play some worship music, and I'm I, you know I'm not the best singer. Yeah, I can make a joyful noise. Put the Lord emphasis on noise there. It's not a beautiful noise, but it's a joyful noise. But anyway, if I'm just if I'm just in that mood, and I turn some praise and worship music, and I start singing to Jesus, it's hard to hold on to that while you're singing to Christ. That's why Paul calls us here to do that. And the last thing he says, look at verse 17. The last thing he says, and whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do, whatever we do in word or deed, whatever we say and do, all the actions of our lives, our thoughts, everything, we do everything in the name of Jesus. Which means, which means everything we say or do, every part of our lives should reflect Jesus. It should reflect Jesus. So we need to be asking ourselves hard questions. Are the words that I'm using reflecting Jesus? Are the words that I'm typing on social media or emails or whatever, do, do they reflect Jesus? Is that thing that you're about to look at on your computer, does that reflect Jesus? Is that decision that you're about to make reflect Jesus? Does your bank account reflect Jesus? I know it's a tough subject. You know two things Jesus talks most about in all the Gospels? Money and hell. You know two subjects that we don't like to talk about very much? Money and hell. Interesting, huh? We haven't gotten there much, but we will in the book of Acts. But our bank accounts, the way we use our finances, the way we steward our time, talent, and treasure should reflect Jesus. Do the things you do at work reflect Jesus? It's how you treat your neighbor reflect Jesus? Does how you talk about people when they're not around reflect Jesus? Does your schedule and priorities reflect Jesus, reflect that you love and treasure him more than anything else? Does the way you parent reflect Jesus? Look, we could go on and on and on, but these are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Does the way I'm living, does the things that I'm doing, thinking, saying, do they reflect Jesus? Am I reflecting Jesus in everything I say and do? This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is the characteristics that Paul calls. This is the, the way our relationships with one another should look. Is that always the case? No. Again, I'll be honest for you. No, that's not always the case, is it? We stumble and fail in many ways, don't we? We struggle in many ways. But this is what Jesus has called us to. This is what it looks like as Ephesians 4.1 tells us to, to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given us. This is what it looks like. These are the characteristics we should strive for. So before we end today, I just want to give you three quick practical implications and, and steps to help us live this way, or at least hopefully help us to, to slow down enough to try to live this way, right? Three things real quick. First one, how to help walk in these characteristics. One, examine ourselves. Examine yourself. We have to constantly be examining ourselves. We have to constantly, exactly what we just did with those questions, asking ourselves these hard questions. Is what I'm doing with my life reflecting Jesus in this moment? Is how I'm acting reflecting Jesus? Is what I'm about to do or say reflecting Jesus? Am I being compassionate? Am I being humble? Am I being meek? Am I being forgiving? Am I being patient? We need to ask ourselves these hard questions and examine our hearts 
before we do or say things. And look, again, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always great at that, right? We're not always great at self-reflection. What we are great is reflecting on everybody else. What we are great is, is pointing out everybody else's struggles, right? Like, this is why Jesus says, hey, before you deal with the speck in somebody else's eye, deal with the huge log that's coming out of yours. Deal with yourself first. Uh, Beth Moore teaches this, uh, this illustration, uh, trying to explain and, and help us see. She says oftentimes that we're, what we're really good at is using a microscope. We're really good at using a microscope. We're really good at taking everybody else in our lives, all these other people, and putting them under a microscope and seeing every little thing that we don't like, that we disagree with, that we would do differently, that we think, oh, you're in sin because of this. Oh, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do because of these things. We're really good at examining everybody else with a microscope. When instead, what we should be doing is using a mirror. We should be taking a mirror and putting it right in front of us. And saying, how am I doing? Where am I? How am I outside of God's calling? How am I out, out of step with God? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to come back? Let's look at ourselves in a mirror before we ever pull out a microscope. Let's deal with ourselves first. Use a mirror, not a microscope. And look, this is why we desperately need accountability in our lives. We desperately need people that we have invited into, trusted people that we love and care about and that we know love and care about us, that we, we bring in to the depths of our lives and say, look, you have full freedom to call me out when I need it. Here's where I struggle. Here's where I'm blind. Help me see it. Because look, we, we've got a lot of blind spots. We've got a lot of blind spots and sin is deceptive and pulls us away in all sorts of different areas. We need people in our lives that know us and love us, and can call us back to Jesus. You can say, hey, Travis, man, I've noticed this. What's going on there? Talk me through it. Tell me, because this is what I'm seeing. So help me understand where, where you're at. What's going on in your life? We need people in our lives that know us, know where we struggle, and call us out and point us back to Jesus. We need that. Surround yourself with people who will do that. All right, so we need to examine ourselves, number two. We need to extend grace. We need to extend grace to each other. And this is one of, another one of those areas that we desperately need to grow in. See, we, we love to receive grace, don't we? Like, please just, you know, give me grace. Give me grace. Ah, I'm just having a hard week. Ah, it's just been a hard day. Oh, sorry. You know, I just, I just kind of lost control there. Sorry about that. Like, we, we want grace from everybody. We want everybody to give us grace. But when it comes to dealing grace to others, it's like, well, you know, I don't really know about that. I know I deserve grace, but I don't think you deserve grace. You should give me grace, but I don't think you've deserved it. I don't think you've earned grace there. That's the thing with grace, though. It's, it's not what we've earned or deserve, is it? That's why it's called grace. This is why Paul says that we're, we're to bear with each other, right? and we're to forgive each other. And he reminds us of our unity in Christ with one another. We're to give grace to each other. This is how we maintain unity. We give grace. We give benefit of the doubt. We, we talk with each other. We work out our issues, and we work towards reconciliation and forgiveness. Again, look, Satan desperately wants to tear this thing apart. He wants to destroy this church right here and now. And one of the ways, one of his best tricks is to get in and divide people. 
and so division and so hurt and frustration and bitterness and resentment. He wants to do that. So we've got to be on guard. We've got to be on guard. We've got to protect ourselves against that. And one of the ways we do it is we give grace. I heard a pastor say recently, as Christians, we're to, we're to breathe in the mercy of God and exhale the grace of God. So we, we breathe in the mercy of God, remembering that Christ doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us his mercy and his love. And we're to exhale that to everybody around us. Amen. We breathe in the mercy of God and we exhale the grace of God to those in our lives. Let's be that kind of people. So we extend grace. The last one here, and we'll, we'll end with this. Um, we are to pray for each other. We're to pray for each other. I think we could all agree, as we said a couple weeks ago, we, we could all probably agree that we need to spend more time in prayer. I mean, I've never met anybody in my life that's like, you know what? I pray enough. I, I pray I pray too much, actually. I, should, I could probably cut back on my prayer time because I'm praying too much. Never heard anybody say that. Too often we, we, we need to spend more time in prayer. I know I need to spend more time in prayer. Like prayer, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is how we align our hearts with God. We spend time in prayer. And if we're not spending much time with Jesus in his word and in prayer, it's going to be hard to walk in line with him. I don't know about you, but I know man, when, I, when I'm struggling with sin more, I can usually trace it back to I haven't spent enough time in his word. I haven't spent enough time in prayer. So we need to pray. And we need to pray for each other. We, we usually are pretty good about praying for ourselves. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for one another. Again, our, our enemy is on the prowl, always. And one of the weapons that we have is prayer. So look, when you're, you know, you're at work, you're doing the dishes or whatever it is you're doing, and all of a sudden you think about that one person. It's like, oh man, I just, I just thought about, I just thought about somebody. That's not by accident. That's the Holy Spirit bringing that person to mind. And you don't, you don't know what's going on with them. But let's assume that the Holy Spirit brought that person to mind and we should stop and pray for that person. Text them to encourage them. I, I don't know. Let's trust that the Holy Spirit is bringing that to mind, and we just need to stop and pray. Those things don't happen by accident. Right? There's, no, there's no coincidences in life, okay? Not with our sovereign God at work. So pray for one another. Lift one another up in prayer. Who, who do you need to be praying for today? Let's do that. So Christians in the room, believers in the room, this, this is what our lives are supposed to look like. This is the life that Jesus called us to. We're, we're to put off the old self, put to death the old self, and live in the new life that Jesus has given us. That's what we're called to do. And look, here, here's, here's the good news of the gospel. If your life today, right now, is looking a little bit more like the old self than the new self, it's like we said last week, repentance and grace and forgiveness is always an option. It's always an option. God's forgiveness for us never runs out. His grace, his mercy never runs dry. So we're told in scripture that we wake up to new mercies every single day. I don't know about you, but that is that is good news. So if your life right now is looking more like the old self, good news is Jesus is right here with his arms wide open, wanting you to turn back to him. Repent and come back to Jesus. Let's walk in the life that he's called us to. Let's live a life of compassion and humility and meekness and forgiveness and and thankfulness and all the things that paul calls us here let's let's live that life as as we 
conclude our time together, we're going to do what we do every single Sunday. Johnny's going to come back up, lead us in a time of worship, and we're going to, we're going to celebrate communion again like we do every single Sunday. So as we, as we transition into that moment, I'm going to pray. And I would encourage you, just look, let's take some time for self-reflection. Let's take some time to examine our hearts. To examine our hearts, see where we're at. See, where do we need to repent? Where do we need to come back to Jesus? Let's fill our hearts with gratitude for all that Jesus has done. And then we go to the tables. So as you're ready, you go to the tables on either side. We have the elements there. The bread and the cup that, that represent Jesus' broken body and shed blood for us on the cross. Now, this is, this is why this moment is just for believers in the room. So if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, this, this time is for you. Because it's a way for us to worship and celebrate what God has done for us. Amen. So as you're ready, as your hearts are prepared, I encourage you to go to the tables, take the elements, and then let's worship our good God and Savior. Amen. If you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, you haven't put your faith in him, I want to encourage you, I want to ask you, let, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you stop chasing after the things of this world. That you stop trying to save yourself. Come to Jesus. His arms are open. Forgiveness is available. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Jesus already knows that. And he still says, come to me. Amen. So come to him. Put your faith in him today. If you want to know more about that, if you want to talk through what that looks like, please come find me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your salvation. God, I thank you that, that you have walked in victory over our sin, over our struggles, over our pain and hurt and guilt and shame. Lord, you cover it all. Jesus, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to walk in this new self. Lord, I, I know I need that every single day. I need your strength, Lord. Fill me with a heart for you, Lord. As the author of Hebrews says, let's cast aside every sin and weight that entangles us, Lord, and let's run hard after you. Lord, mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be. Lord, help us have relationships with one another that honor you. And Lord, we thank you once again, for who you are and all that you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, you, you receive and deserve all of our honor and praise and worship today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.